Amen. This Sunday morning scripture, I'm going to begin by saying, if implemented, probably is one of the most powerful, life-changing scriptures for us all. This morning's scripture is one of the most powerful, life-changing scriptures for us all. And I think it happens just at the end. In the words proclaimed to Jesus, you are my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. See, because the thing is, is that I think, just a thought, many of the problems throughout our world stem from people not hearing those words spoken to them. That we've been talking last week and we'll be going to be talking for a number of weeks about the idea of these toxic habits that we have. How do we detox ourselves from the things that break us apart from one another? And last week we talked about listening to other voices. And this week I want to talk about listening to the voice the soft, subtle voice that whispers into our ear, you are my son or daughter, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. I I don't know uh, about uh, you and what your favorite film was when you were in high school, but when when I was in high school, one of the films that captured my imagination is a movie, actually a trilogy called The Matrix. And so some of you might be uh, familiar with this movie. It it is a a sci-fi, philosophical, and I would argue even theological movie that talks about people that, you know, uh, live in this uh, computer world and robots and machines and all these things like that. But one of the main premises of the movie is that this guy Morpheus, who's a prophet not too unfamiliar from John the Baptist, is in search of the one so-called the Messiah, the one who would save all of humanity from the uh, robots, machines that had taken over and controlled all of humanity. And, and one of the things about it, though, is that the Messiah, the one, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves, didn't believe that he was the one. But Morpheus, over and over again throughout the first film, would say to himself, you're the, or say to, say to Neo or Keanu Reeves, you are the one. And of course, I've been reliving this and I've been thinking about this because they just released another version of that. In fact, if you went to the movie theaters, I know I took my kids to sing too, but there was the movie I actually wanted to see, which is the Matrix Resurrection, although I really liked sing too. Thankfully, HBO Max has it and I've been able to watch it at night when the kids go down because it is definitely not kid appropriate. But the movie, like, it just reminisced all those feelings of Neo trying to discover himself. And of course, at the end of the movie, it ends just like the end of another movie. I won't spoil it for you. But it's just Neo, this character, trying to identify with himself as the one who is going to save all of the people, as going to save all the people. Because it's one thing to hear the words. It's another thing to live out of the words. And I think the words that Morpheus spoke to Neo, you are the one, are not too unfamiliar to the words that are spoken to us. You are my son or daughter, my beloved. 
And you might be asking yourself, well, Brian, that wasn't spoken to me. That was spoken to Jesus in the gospel, right? Jesus is given this proclamation, but we ourselves, we talk about, we, we, one of our sacraments is communion. It's an opportunity we experience God's grace. Another one is baptism. And so if you have been baptized, one of the things that we say is that you have been baptized into Jesus' own baptism. So that when you are submerged or sprinkled or whatever happens to you, when you receive the baptismal waters, you receive the public proclamation of the same voice that came down from heaven and spoke to Jesus, you are my beloved. And I said earlier that I think that a lot of our problems in society and throughout the world would be alleviated if we believed those words about ourselves. I happen to think of a book called Real Boys by William Pollock. It was released in 1998, and I used it as part of my capstone studies at Duke when I was doing studies around adolescent development. Because when adolescents, so youth, one of the primary things that they're doing, if you know anything about adolescent studies, is searching for their identity. They're trying to understand themselves. And so if you have an adolescent at home that, you know, is wearing all black at one moment and then all of a sudden they've changed to become a different, that's them exploring who they are and trying to understand their identity. So where do they fit in this world as an autonomous adult? And, and it goes all the way to age 26. I'm sorry if you have adolescents that have just graduated or in college. It can go all the way to age 26, and it can begin as young as 12, this search for identity. But William Pollock, is, in this writer, describes a problem that's encountered by a number of boys throughout society. And some of this has changed because it was written in 1998, but all too much of it, I think, is still the same. And he says that in the search for identity, many of our country's adolescent boys have gone astray out of an attempt to be the boy or the man that society tells them they have to be. And he says that they have to follow what's called a boy code, right? Someone who's stoic and doesn't show emotion, sturdy as an oak, he describes it. Another one of the ones is that they're also strong and win at all costs, and that if you lose, well, that is a hit on who you are as a boy and even as a man. Another book is called Rebels, Lunar, Losers, and Loners, and takes a look at some of the youth that have done atrocious things, like, you know, the adolescent boys that have gone into uh, schools and put them on lockdown, and, and you know what I'm talking about when I share those words, and oftentimes it's some of the boys that have been the kind of the stepping stone or have been hurt by these damaging effects of what society expects out of some of our men be sturdy as an oak. Because the truth is, is that is for some of us, but it's not for all of us. And so I did this study and I looked at masculinity and the ways in which society tells us we need to be a man and, you know, pick up ourselves by the bootstraps. You got to be strong and muscular. And I know I have some Marines that are part of our congregation and you might fit the bill a little bit. But at the same time, it's not the way that all of us are meant to live. 
And in the same respect, the same can be said about women who feel that they must live into the ideas of being a woman that are portrayed on all of the magazine covers and that are photoshopped on the movies and TikTok and Instagram, that you must be like the ones you see. And so in specific, in thinking about the men of society, William Pollock believed that if these adolescents would believe that they are beloved and loved by adults in their lives without having to conform to the toxic ways in which all of society is told they must be a man. He believed they would be healthier and more well-rounded and better able to deal with their own emotional health and the health of those around them. Because that's what we've been talking about, right, is being in community. But if I'm believing that I must have some identity that's doing me harm, it's hard to be authentically part of a community together if you can't first accept yourself. That if you cannot accept who you are and who God made you as with the gifts and the particularities, it is hard to truly be part of a community where you can live out your own identity and where your neighbor or your friend can as well. And and it seems just so self-evident, things that are poured up on music like, you know, Lady Gaga who sings Made This Way, right? He sings a song about how God made me this way, and it's a popular song, one of the top ten hits a number of years ago, sung it all over the country and all over the world. You would think that we would be able to get it right. But I promise you that I believe that many of us think that there's something else that will give us our worth than the truth that God has already called us God's beloved. And I don't know what it is for you. I can't speak to that. I know that I did resonate uh, to William Pollock's ideas of what it meant to be a man, that I felt like if I, I felt like less of who I was, less of uh, achievement because I couldn't bench press. I mean, look at me. I'm not, I'm not Kevin Lockett who's up here, you know, got the build, right, that can bench press 200 pounds or whatever it is. But The idea is that God made me this way. And if I would have had the voices of community in my life that helped me believe that when I was a youth, I'd have saved myself lots of nights, days, times of feeling insecure about who I was. But it's not just that, right? It's also what we've lived into within our jobs, or perhaps if I was the best parent whose kids never get out of line, or perhaps if I was the best kid who parents never get mad at me, whatever it is, or a job where I can get the next step up with the career, or if I was a grandparent who my grandkids wanted to spend more time with. I don't know what it is for you that makes you feel like you are less of the fully beloved child of God that God has made you to be. I don't know what that competing identity is, whether it's mom, dad, you know, career-driven, focused, whatever it is. We all have those little things that try to tempt us into believing our worth will become more if we only did that. That our worth would become more if we only did 
X, Y, or Z. And friends, I am here to tell you that your worth, your core identity, who you are broken down is God's beloved, period. No matter what happens to you in your life, that identity will never change. You could find yourself on the streets and the identity of God's beloved will never leave you. You could find yourselves in the high rises, downtown Waikiki and the penthouses and the proclamation of God's belovedness will never leave you. So friends, when we talk about coming together as community, how might we help ourselves and those around us believe that they are beloved children of God? How might they understand for who they are that God made them holy and sacred and God loves them and wants to see the best in them? And I want to take this just one step further in this. Because it's one thing to say, God loves me and God calls me beloved, but then here's my life, my mess, all these things. But there's something especially important about Jesus and about God's baptism, about this baptism that Jesus takes place. As remember, Jesus is God. And Jesus comes to be with us. And so one of the, the fallacies, I think, is that there's parts of us that perhaps God doesn't think are beloved. Or there's parts of us that if only God knew or that are breaking apart and becoming frail or whatever it is, and that's not what God calls as beloved. But in Christ, God takes on flesh, takes on humanity, and then as God does that, calls that beloved. And friends, why I think it's important it's because as we move into New Year's resolution type stuff, you know, one of the like, primary ones that a lot of people do is this year I'm going to be more fit, right? I'm going to do something with my body. And there is a fallacy within Christian belief that at some day we're just going to go fly by and by, right? And we're going to leave these bodies behind. And when God calls us beloved, it has nothing to do with our physical appearance, our physical bodies, all of those things. I believe the exact opposite. Over and over again, God calls us to not just believe that our spirit is beloved by God, but this thing we call flesh that we take on and walk around in that's called beloved in God's own son is of value. And I, and I say that because it's not just the identities that we carry around our careers and things, right? but we also carry it with our appearance. So some of us might feel like we need to be bigger or slimmer, or some of us might just wish we were younger, and then we would be whole again. God wants us to own all of who we are, our careers, our bodies, our relationships, everything about us, and as we hold it up to God, God calls that beloved. 
So as you look in the mirror, when you get ready for the day, you can look in the mirror and you can say to yourself, you have been called beloved. As you find yourself at work, you can say with all the stresses and anxieties that only if you could do these things, right? You could say to yourself, God has called me beloved. And friends, I truly believe that if we understood our own chosenness and we helped others see it, I mean, think about all the pains within society, all the pains within our own lives, driven out of these insecurities or these frailties, these disbelief in the voice that was proclaimed in Jesus. I mean, you have anxiety, you have depression, you have eating disorders, you have all of these pains, societal ills. You have people that remain in the closets in their lives because they don't feel like they can come out as they are, whether that's gay, straight, you know, whatever it is. People that feel like they're not themselves in their body because they were born a female but live out a life. How do we own our identity as chosen, beloved children of God, period. And so when I meet with parents before we baptize in the baptismal waters, I say to them, what will it look like for you who's saying that you will raise your child in the church, in God's love, to remind your child of the waters of baptism? What would it look like for our church ohana to remind one another of the waters of baptism when God called you beloved as you are, period? No ifs, ands, buts. God called you beloved. And so, as you feel the pressure, the anxiety, the stress that comes with those achievements or whatever it is that you feel like you must do, I invite you to take a breath and remind yourself you are God's beloved in whom God is well pleased. Not when you get the A on your paper, you pass your exam, as you are now. And then as you know someone, because I know you do, going through painful circumstances, feeling the stress and the anxiety, reminding them, God made you as you are beloved. And maybe you don't use those words. That's fine. But say to them, you're great. You're amazing. Encourage them. Lift them up. Give them words of affirmation, not when they do something, but in that moment. Or just tell them that they're beloved to you. And remind them that no matter what, I love you 
and I'm with you. Because that reminder for them is a rem- the same reminder that God gives us over and over again. That in Christ, God calls us beloved, and that, that is always with us. And so as the Apostle Paul says, neither height nor depth nor angel nor demons, nothing can separate you from the love of God that has already called you beloved. Friends, I invite you to pray with me.